Entering the Freedom Hut. Former anti-Trump FBI lawyer Lisa Page plays the world's smallest violin. Designated cartels as terrorist organizations. Let's take a ride on the Biden Malarkey Express. Judiciary hearing on impeachment coming up this week. Also, Newsweek fired a reporter for an anti-Trump story. The Supreme Court hears an interesting gun case and much more coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small step. Make Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Hope you had a fantastic Thanksgiving holiday. I know I did. Ate a whole lot. You got to be careful when you get into the the pre main meal snacks. Like my my family always does really good meat and cheese board and different dips and things. You can put away you can put away a thousand calories just on cheese and salami easily if you're not careful. I was not careful, so here I am uh, stumbling, waddling in and out of the Freedom Hut. But I will get back uh, get back into a healthier mode. I, I'm sure all of you will too. But it was a great time. I trust you all are. Back, rested and ready, ready to go back into the breach. And so uh, here we go, because I, I haven't seen you in a few days, so I feel like there's there's no time for me to uh, to spend to stand on ceremony. We'll do that in the third hour, which is what we tend to do. Big stuff coming up this week. It's going to be quite interesting. A bit of a sprint in the political world from here until Christmas Day. Usually things slow down this time of year. But there is a timeline that cannot be ignored, a timeline that involves impeachment and also, as we know, unless the Department of Justice changes its mind once again, there will be a release of the inspector general's report on FISA abuse next week, which I think will prove right people like me all along. But it won't be satisfying if you're waiting for this to be the moment that people Get their comeuppance if you think that there will be justice delivered out because of this. I think you're likely to be disappointed. There'll just be some bureaucraties about how maybe it was unprofessional to do this or it was a little sloppy to do that. But no one's going to say that this is an egregious violation of FBI protocols that could be not just a a fireable offense, but perhaps even a prosecutable one, because these institutions These bureaucracies always view themselves as players in this drama, and they want to protect their own perks, their prerogatives. They want to make sure that the institution lives on beyond the malfeasance of any one individual, any group of individuals. So this is where we are now. I just want to be clear on that. That's my prediction insofar as I'm willing to make a prediction about this. As you know, one of my my, uh, things I'm most certain of is that nobody can predict the future. But then you have a piece, courtesy of the Daily Beast, an anti-Trump left-wing garbage heap that you have to wonder, why does it even exist? What is the purpose of the Daily Beast? As if we don't have enough left-wing liberal uh, nonsense from the New York Times, the Washington Post, from Slate.com, Huffington uh, Huffington Post, Newsweek. We'll talk about Newsweek later. I I can sit here and just keep rattling off different sites. Never mind the true commie stuff like The Nation. You have all this left-wing garbage being peddled, and yet the Daily Beast still exists. I suppose suppose it's helpful to be—I think they're they're owned by 
Barry Diller and IAC. So you got a billionaire who's got a lot of money, and that means that you can say the same stuff that all the other websites run and owned by billionaires who are liberals get to do. But the Daily Beast comes out with this piece, Lisa Page Speaks. She says, there's no fathomable way I have committed any crime at all. Striking back is the sub-headline here. Striking back. And this entire piece is supposed to bring you to one conclusion, that Lisa Page is a victim. Now, let's take a moment. Let's go back in time, shall we? Lisa Page was a federal prosecutor who worked for the worked with the FBI at a very senior level. And she exchanged a series of text messages with Peter Strzok, who was a a bizarre individual, if you remember his testimony on Capitol Hill, and also rabidly anti-Trump. And they, on official FBI devices, said all kinds of things about how Trump voters were smelly and that Trump is an idiot and he's so blanking stupid and even went so far as to speak of an insurance policy against the president, the would-be president of the United States, President Donald Trump, and at one point wrote that this is in text message and this is a matter of record. This is not a matter of speculation. We'll stop it. That was what he said to her in order to calm her down at the prospect of Trump winning the election. Now, for people in the FBI to have said this on official devices would be remarkably stupid, no matter what their roles in the FBI. For people who are also engaged in an extramarital affair, as these two individuals, as we know, were at the time, is also reckless, deeply stupid, and makes you think that these people, remember, these are very senior individuals in the FBI. These are not just run-of-the-mill FBI agents. They're working at headquarters in D.C. And I guess they figured the rules don't really apply to them. But when you add on top of all of that, that these individuals were deeply and, dare I say, intimately, sorry, Involved in investigating President Trump's campaign at the time. When you think about how it was of the thousands and thousands of FBI agents, it was Peter Strzok who was involved not just in the Papadopoulos case, but also in the Hillary Clinton email case. And Lisa Page as well. That it was Peter Strzok who went in to interview General Flynn during the transition from the Obama administration to the Trump administration. And out of that, what seemed to be a cordial exchange between colleagues, you had a federal felony prosecution of a 30-year veteran of the United States military and incoming national security advisor. My friends, that seems like quite a series of coincidences, doesn't it? Just so happens that these two individuals who no question hate Trump and think that he's a threat to the republic are also involved in decision making at the highest level that invest that has to do with investigating the president or the can uh, the candidate, depending on the part of the timeline we're looking at here, that they hated so very much. And now the media is trying to prepare the narrative before the inspector general report that Lisa Page is a victim and that every time 
Trump tweets about her. It's like a gut punch. Let's just remember this. Uh, Lisa Page was a federal prosecutor for years. She put people in prison. I'm sure in some circumstances it was a question of judgment, and she thought that her judgment was good enough to ruin someone else's life for perhaps a relatively minor infraction. To those who say Lisa Page is a victim, which is, we know, the favorite posture for the left, to try to use your decency, use your sense of, of mercy and kindness against you to win political points. Oh, look at this poor person. Sure, she was involved in a deep state coup against Trump, but it's very sad what has happened to her. Just, an, just another honorable public servant caught up in Trump's meanness. That's the storyline you're supposed to hear, but... I doubt Lisa Page shed any tears for General Michael Flynn when he was ruined financially, ruined professionally, and still facing the possibility of incarceration for a non-crime, for nothing, for the perception of a lack of candor in a conversation that didn't matter, that wasn't illegal, that he thought was with colleagues. I mean, how far away is the FBI really from sitting down with General Flynn back in the day and saying, hey, you know, what, what, did you, what was your golf game last weekend? Oh, you know, I, I was six over par. Oh, you were actually 10 over par. Let's send you to prison. You should be embarrassed. The FBI and the DOJ should be embarrassed about what they continue to do. These federal prosecutors continue to do General Flynn. The claim they make is that even though there's more exculpatory evidence than was initially presented to Flynn as part of the process, it shouldn't matter because he signed a deal saying, sorry, if more information comes out, if you can prove you're innocent later, General Flynn, that's too bad for you. The process decides that you're done. I don't think Lisa Page is losing any sleep about that. I don't think she's concerned about the other people caught up in the probe that was really started in large part by the machinations of Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, Andy McCabe, acting FBI director, James Comey. Remember, these are people that hold Comey in high regard. Still, she's asked in this article about it. What was it like the day that James Comey, oh, America's last honorable, decent public servant, I mean, the guy's a lanky sanctimonious weirdo completely lacking in any sense of who he really is any any sense of uh, introspection really does believe his own his own nonsense uh, she thought that it was a terrible day the day that Comey got fired these were people that were very high up in the FBI and the DOJ drunk on power who thought they knew better than the American voters these are people who have been told that the system that they're a part of, this bureaucracy, the unelected fourth branch of government, is full of the best and the brightest. And that anybody who would challenge that or question that is a threat, a threat not just to their own sense of how awesome they are, but a threat to the republic itself. They are the guardians, you see. This is the praetorian guard of not the presidency, but of America. Unfortunately, none of that is true. And now they are scrambling to make sure that the left-wing dominance in the media is enough that the truth won't come out here. Really, people, it won't seep in that you had a number of individuals with the power to do so who, I would note, were in fact in the executive branch when President Obama was calling the shots. It was, in fact, Obama's 
FBI director. They can tell us all about how nonpartisan they are, but partisan positions change. People go from Democrat to Republican and back. People decide that they have radicalized even within our own politics. So what somebody was back in the year 2000 doesn't really matter to me in the 2016 election, does it? But they're going to tell us that she's just a victim, that she did nothing wrong, that there's nothing to see here. That's a problem because we already have the inspector general writing in 2018 that both Page and Strzok caused damage that, quote, goes to the heart of the FBI's reputation for neutral fact finding and political independence. This was the inspector general of the FBI on related but different issues then. You see what her defense is going to be and her defenders who are going to rush to her side on this in the media because it all goes to the heart of the Russia collusion nonsense. Oh, there was all this all these rumors really about Trump working with the Russians, colluding with the Russians to steal the 2016 election. They're going to say that she didn't do anything illegal. Well, that may be true. I don't believe that they're going to find that she should be prosecuted for anything. But what you have to remember is the abuse of power, something Democrats like to talk about a lot these days, the abuse of power is often something that is not illegal. There's a reason why judges recuse themselves. There's a reason why the appearance of corruption for elected members of uh, our government is enough for them to have to take action. Because this is all premised on the belief of good faith that you are conducting your job, you are obeying the laws as a person who does not have ulterior motives, but who is working for the same purpose as the American people, as everyone else, that there is a good faith exercise of one's duties. That, my friends, is where the FBI has fallen apart here. That is where the reputational damage is. You would have to be an imbecile to think that it doesn't matter, that we shouldn't give any consideration to the fact that the most powerful people in the in the Federal Bureau of Investigation were almost psychotically anti-Trump during the 2016 election and that there were investigations opened on flimsy pretext of rumors here and rumors there and press without any consideration whatsoever about what this would do if and when the American people found out about what was going on here. We already know that what Lisa Page did was wrong. We already know Lisa Page has ethical problems. That's established. Same thing with Peter Strzok, who was fired, by the way, from the FBI, you will recall. But they want to try to get ahead of this. They want to create an ulterior, uh, uh, an alternative, rather, narrative. They want to create a storyline that the people that still believe, even after the Mueller probe, that there was Russia collusion, because a lot of liberals do, that still believe that Trump should have been prosecuted for obstruction and the emoluments clause and the Stormy Daniels payoff. And they just go to the list. All these things that never go anywhere and where the facts don't end up being on the side of the anti-Trump loons, they just cling to it. They stick with the same narrative. They never change their minds because ultimately this isn't about Trump breaking the law. This is about the fact that people don't like this president and will find a way to justify that mindset no matter what else is going on in the world, no matter what the facts may say, and no matter what the damage really is to a governing system we have that has to operate in good faith or else it all does start to crumble. Remember that as Lisa Page is crying Big tears and playing the world's smallest violin for you in the week ahead. So the Democrats, the radical left Democrats, the do-nothing Democrats, decided when I'm going to NATO, this was set up a year ago, that when I'm going to NATO 
this president. And for them to be doing this and saying this and putting an impeachment on the table, which is a hoax to start off with. If you notice, there was breaking news today. The Ukrainian president came out and said very strongly that President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong. That should be case over. But he just came out a little while ago and he said President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong and that should end everything. But it will never end it because they want to do what they want to do. They're getting killed in their own district. I think it's going to be a tremendous boon for the Republicans. Republicans have never, ever been so committed as they are right now and so united. So it's really a great thing in some ways, but in other ways, it's a disgrace. It's a disgrace for our country. I love when the president just calls it out like this. By the way, this is one of the reasons why I, I think this president deserves so much support and even leeway in areas where he's not doing things exactly that I want him to. You need a president who's going to just tell it like it is when he's faced with this leftist assault, which is what's going on right now. This impeachment is a farce. It's ridiculous. Oh, you have Nancy Pelosi saying that they're trying to remove Trump and it's it, they're prayerfully. Oh, oh, we're, we're prayerful about this. We're, we're so sad. It's with a heavy heart. Nobody believes that crap. No, not even Nancy Pelosi believes it. They've been preparing to do an impeachment against this president from the very beginning because they just cannot stand this guy. They hate him. They absolutely hate him. And that's where this is. That's what this all comes from. So they're, they're make-believe here about how this is not what they want to do. They've wanted to do this all along, but it's not going the way that they've been planning. That much is for sure. Look, there's no question the Democrats are scrambling right now to resurrect this impeachment as a process that is going to benefit them in 2020. There, there are real concerns. They haven't changed anybody's mind on this one. Sure, the Democrat base, the left wing base might like this, the theatrics of Trump is the worst and Ukraine. I mean, you know, what we found out about Ukraine policy as a result of these hearings that President Trump is a far better friend to Ukraine than his predecessor, Barack Obama, was that President Trump was willing to do something that had greater geopolitical risk and was, in fact, more of a slap in the face to Putin directly giving arms, specifically javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian military, that Trump did all of that. And Barack Obama would not should tell you everything you need to know about the reality of these claims that Trump is horrible and he left the Ukrainians. They couldn't fight. They couldn't do anything. No, Trump was the one who helped them. Obama was the one who was too wimpy to do anything about this. Let's just look at what the facts of the case are. The aid money did get released. Presidents are allowed to ask counterparts for information that deals with U.S. national security, for information that goes to the heart of the U.S. justice system. You know, if there was anything going on with election meddling in Ukraine, why not ask, you know, or if you have any concern about that, why not ask the Ukrainians where they can find out? That's, that's completely legitimate. I've had a different view on this, as you know, even for many conservatives all along. But as this plays out, this impeachment process, Wednesday we're going to have open hearings in the House Judiciary Committee. Oh, well, this is really, really going to be uh, fascinating, isn't it? Here's what you should know about this right off the bat. They are doing this entirely for the purposes of politics and all along telling you that politics plays no role. 
This is the fundamental. This is the foundational lie the Democrats tell on impeachment. They're dressing it up. They're they're putting, you know, the, the, the special accoutrement. I felt like saying something a little French. Accoutrement, monsieur, uh, of a legal proceeding so that it has this addition of gravitas. Now I'm going with with Latin. Um, I figure why not mix in some foreign languages right now. But they want that addition of gravitas from the perception of this as a legal proceeding when it's entirely political. They're making it up as they go along, making it up the whole way. Remember this, my friends, in both the lead up to what would have been the impeachment of Richard Nixon. Never forget that one. Nixon was not impeached. And the impeachment process of Bill Clinton, there was independent counsel. There were people brought in outside of elected elected politicians who were supposed to be fact finders. That hasn't happened in this process. No, in fact, if anything, what Pelosi and Schiff learned is that when you have anybody that's doing any fact finding and you can't control what facts are released and what facts aren't, doesn't work out the way you want, i.e. the Mueller probe or really the Weissman probe with Mueller plopped on top as a figurehead. The Democrats desperate to take down Trump, given full authority and power to do so, I might add. And yet they didn't come up with the goods. They didn't have the stuff. You got to ask yourself at some point, did the Democrats ever learn the lesson? No, of course not, because there's no lesson for them to learn, because it's never about Trump's wrongdoing. It's about they hate him. They hate the way that he speaks to them. They hate that he calls out the lackeys in the media who have been doing the bidding of the establishment of both Republicans and Democrats for decades. They hate it. How dare he? These people will never forget this, have very large and fragile egos. You know, the, the Pelosi's and the, uh, you know, the Stephanopoulos's and the Anderson Coopers and the, the Schiff's and the, you know, go to the, and the Schumer's. They're very fragile egos. You're not, you're, not allowed, you're not allowed to have somebody with a really large megaphone criticize them, ridicule, mock them. This is what Trump has been willing to do. This is what other people before him, other Republicans have shied away from. Oh, no, that's that's too rough. We, we can't we can't make fun of anybody. That's not nice. We won't. We can't do that. No. Mockery and ridicule are effective weapons, weapons that are deployed against the right, against conservatives all the time. Maybe Trump learned from his many, many years of getting attention in and battling it out in the tabloids that when you've got one side that's just throwing punches wherever they can and you want to try to play it all nice and the other, guess what? You're going to lose. You're going to lose. But the fact that Trump will mock them, make fun of them, that is another thing that they cannot abide. Sure, he's a threat to the power structure that they've been, in many cases, leeching off of for a long time. Look at Hunter Biden. You know, I mean, sure. Maybe he, maybe the guy impregnated an exotic dancer in wherever it was. And, and you're sure, maybe the guy was smoking crack at the shadiest strip club in D.C. Because I used to walk past it every day on my way to work. It's not a place you'd want to hang out. Or, or maybe he was just in there in that strip club reading up on how to more efficiently deploy resources within the Ukrainian natural gas industry. We don't know. Who are we to judge? And yet... Pelosi and Schiff and Schumer and all the rest of them view Trump as a threat 
to their egos and to their privileges and to their power and to the ability to make millions and millions of dollars somehow just by being in politics. We know what their salaries are. Their salaries are not the salaries of millionaires. How do they make all of this money? How do they become so rich? Oh, you start to scratch the surface on that and they get very upset, don't they? They do indeed. So now we have this Judiciary Committee gathering on Wednesday. It's all about politics. It has been about politics the entire time. And they're going to tell us that it's about something else. The sanctity of our republic. Defending our rights as Americans and our institutions. Oh, we'll get more into institutions later. They talk so much about them. And yet they're willing to dispense with them the moment they are inconvenient. We should create a list, a, def a list of defining characteristics of liberals, progressives, dare I say socialists today in America. Hypocrisy, that would certainly be very, very high up. Sanctimony, that would be very high on the list. Uh, viciousness, I think, increasingly, you could argue, should be very high on that list. Duplicitousness, a belief in two sets of rules, one for them and one for everybody else. I guess that's just another way of saying hypocrisy. But they talk about the institutions that need to protect them, and then they lie to us about what they're doing all along. They are claiming right now that there is obstruction. I mean, here's a perfect example. You have uh, Amy Klobuchar is bashing the White House for not playing along with this socialist kabuki theater going on on Capitol Hill. Please play clip 17, producer Brandon. You always like to hear more testimony, and maybe that will happen. But I think the point that Adam Schiff has made is you don't want to allow the administration to play rope-a-dope with the courts and have this delayed and delayed and delayed. They have to make a decision, and they're going to move forward. Um, having additional witnesses is always helpful, and that may. The president claims he wants everyone to testify, so why doesn't he let them testify? Right, that's why won't he just... Let us harass all of his employees, break executive privilege. You see, he knows. The president understands what goes on here, what would happen if he offered up somebody even from the White House. And by the way, I agree with him. He should not, he should not put any stamp of approval on this whatsoever. This process is a sham, just as the Mueller probe was a sham. He's correct when he calls it a hoax. Don't, don't get it twisted. Don't get confused on this just based on the fact that the media is so desperate. Because we've seen who they are. That has been completely exposed for the American people, those who are paying attention and being honest. These people are partisans. They're activists. Go down all, all, you know, all the major networks except for Fox, all the major newspapers. They all think the same way. They all believe the same things. And they've made the same ethical decisions, or should I, should I say they've embraced the same level of dishonest and unethical behavior, all because it's helpful for them to try to take down Trump. But she says, why won't they testify? Well, the moment that they go on Capitol Hill and they say, sorry, that's under executive privilege. And then they subpoena more documents. Oh, that's under. Then that just becomes, oh, we know what, obstruction. If you fight back against the Kafkaesque efforts to destroy you, you are obstructing. And this would be like the, the claim that would be made, well, if you ask for a lawyer, you must be guilty. Some people will say that. No, just answer all of law enforcement's questions. Yeah, you know, like General Flynn. Just answer the questions. These people, you can trust them. They're operating in good faith. They don't have an agenda. All right.
entire system of government, the founders, the vision, all of it was based upon competing interests within the government apparatus, limiting the powers of the government apparatus, and making sure that there would be a balance of powers within it. Limit what they can do and make sure that there are forces opposing each other within the government so that there's not too much consolidation in any one area because power corrupts people. Power is uh, seductive and is also corrosive. Just ask Lisa Page, just ask Strzok and McCabe and Comey and Brennan. And who knows how many other senior officials of the Obama administration who thought that they were heroes, you see, heroes to this country because of what they were willing to do, how they're willing to abuse the powers they had to stop Trump from getting elected. It should be noted, you know who else was quite certain that he would be viewed as a hero by his countrymen? Benedict Arnold. He was sure of it, by the way. And there was a case to be made by those who believe that America should not be independent. Well, he would have ended the war. All you have to do is transfer West Point and it all, think of all the lives saved. Ah, but he betrayed, he betrayed his people, he betrayed his oath. Something greater than just the short-term purposes of his own glory. And uh, now we all know how we feel about good old Benedict, don't we? That an impeachment of a president is an undoing of a national election. And one of the reasons we all feel so angry about what they are doing is that they are ripping from us. They are ripping asunder our votes. They are telling us that our votes don't count and that the election must be set aside. What happened? That was Jerry Nadler back in the Clinton impeachment days. I, I, I thought, hold on a second. Jerry Nadler's still in Congress and he's a big advocate for impeaching Trump. And also for wearing his pant waist up at his chin, which is quite a feat of physics, I would say. I don't know how the man does it. I have never seen somebody. It's as though his pants also double as overalls, but they're not technically overalls. They're just pants. But he like hikes them all the way up to his shoulders. It is astonishing. Hey, you know, the guy's got he's got some sartorial flair. That is for sure. Uh, but uh, what what changed between then and now? What changed is the Democrats had no principles that they were willing to defend then that they will defend now. It was just about expedience. This is all about about whether or not the people that are entrusted with power in our government. I mean, ultimately, and this is really at the heart of impeachment, of the Mueller probe, of FISA abuse. Are the people that are in these positions of power introspective, humble, and taking they're uh, taking an approach of good faith to everything that they do. Or do they think that they have been chosen, that they are special, and that when they're in a position where they're supposed to faithfully execute their job and obey the laws and defend and uphold the Constitution, do they think there's a better way to do that, that only they know, and that takes into account that which they ex- which they explicitly should reject, which is partisan ends. Doing this because I want one. I want this team to benefit, and I want that team to get hurt. Once we have people in the federal apparatus who are doing this, once you have members of the uh, federal prosecutorial ranks, you have, then it all starts to crumble, my friends. Then we cannot trust this system at all, which is why I cannot get away from this. I, I can't leave this behind. 
they haven't even begun the work. The left has not even started to accept responsibility for what they've really done here. They claim to be defending institutions while they destroy them. They claim to be upholding the law while they pervert it. They claim to be acting in nonpartisan fashion while what they're doing is wildly political. And they hope to just beat you down, to crush you with the lies. Well, eventually, are, are they crazy or am I crazy? Are they crazy or am I crazy? You have all these different media outlets, supposedly trusted individuals, those who devote careers to speaking truth to power. Lies. They're lying to you. I'm here to tell you that they are lying to you. You know it, though. But one of the reasons why I think we have such a a fast-growing show while we have so many people that come into the Freedom Hub with us day in and day out is they know that I speak the truth to them. I tell them what I know. I tell them what I don't know. I tell them how I feel. I try to be honest about my own shortcomings where I have a bias. You, know, you all know that if there was some way that I could ban via state power people talking in movie theaters, I would do it. I don't know how, but I would do it. And I know that's very statist of me. Um, and there's other things, too, where I all of a sudden I'm not I'm not as pro freedom as, you know, freedom is my is my first love. But uh, sometimes I, I stray or I'm imperfect. But thankfully, I'm a Catholic, so I can get away with that. It's important, right? You got to have the. But I am indeed imperfect. These people pretend to be something that they are not. And that dishonesty is at the heart of what's going on with this impeachment process, with Pelosi, with all these different Democrats, with members of the media who are just. Are, are certain, are absolutely certain that whatever they have to do along the way to defeat President Trump in the 2020 election is inherently justified. This is the ideology of totalitarianism. It is everything against the other thing. Whatever has to be done is fine. Whatever you have to destroy along the way was unnecessary or expendable. This is what we are up against in this election. This is what's happening in the Congress. These people that are getting up before you to speak about how Trump did this terrible thing, they're frauds. If they weren't frauds, then they would say, yeah, you know, we hate this president. We want him gone. We don't like this thing he did on the Ukraine phone call, but it's really not about that. We're just going to say, let's make it about that. This is dishonest. They're lying to you. And I love how they always complain about how much Trump lies. It's, it's stunning stuff. Um, the president of the United States is waging a battle against them that they have still yet to win, and it drives them insane. But don't think that they're going to self-correct. They're just going to get crazier, and this impeachment process is just going to show you that. You scored some screaming holiday deals last year, but that was a lot of expensive stuff sitting there on your porch. This year, keep a sharp eye and blink before you buy. Before you get anything else, order the Blink X-T2 security camera to help keep an eye on your holiday deliveries wherever you are. Blink's Black Friday Cyber Monday event is on. It's your chance to save a ton and get a free Amazon Echo Dot with any purchase of a Blink system while supplies last. Blink X-T2 cameras are wire-free, set up fast, and run on two AA lithium batteries for up to two years. By the way, they're motion active. These cameras are amazing. You'll get an alert and a video clip on your Blink smartphone app whenever someone approaches your door. It's incredible. Blink's Black Friday Cyber Monday event is on. Save up to 28% on Blink cameras and systems from November 28th through December 2nd and get a free Amazon Echo Dot with any Blink system while supplies last. Visit BlinkProtect.com sale. BlinkProtect.com sale. Again, BlinkProtect.com 
com slash sale. All right, Team Buck, welcome back. Let's continue our discussion, shall we, of good faith, bad faith, and whether or not Democrats have any principles. This will be a fun one. They often talk about institutions and their need to censure Trump because of the way that he is a threat to our institutions. Uh, this is an area where they're particularly dishonest. Oh, by the way, if they were so serious about the threat to the republic that they say is the basis for this impeachment proceeding, they don't have time to get Bolton to come speak to them. Why is that? Oh, because they have to ram this whole thing through in the next few weeks. They've got to get this done right away, because if they don't, then they know it is very likely that there will be Democrat senators who should be on the campaign trail, who are actually part of a Senate uh, a Senate trial for Trump after the Democrats in the House inevitably vote to impeach him. So we know that that is we know that that is going to happen. And then we should ask the question after that. OK, so now what? What comes next? What are they going to do? Well, they're going to do whatever they have to do in order to get this president out of office. That's that's the only thing that really matters. But on the institution. Oh, and they're also going to say that it's obstruction. The White House doesn't do everything they say, then that's obstruction. And they don't have time to get Bolton, though, somehow. Okay. Well, that makes no sense to it. It should make no sense to anybody because it's all it's all garbage. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, who's just running around making all kinds of promises about how the rich are finally going to pay their fair share. Uh, here she is uh, talking about one very important American institution, the Electoral College. Please play clip four. As a presidential candidate, what are your thoughts on the Electoral College? Uh, I want to get rid of it. So here's my goal. My goal is to get elected and then to be the last American president elected by the Electoral College. The second term to be that I got elected by direct vote. I'm ready. Popular vote. Um, I just think this is how a democracy should work. Call me old-fashioned, but I think the person who gets the most votes should win. So I'm in. I'm in. Oh, I just think that the person who gets the most votes has to win. Oh, yes, she has so much more of a governance genius than, you know, Madison, than any, any of the framers, than anybody involved in the Constitution. Oh, no, no, no. Elizabeth Warren has a better idea. Let's just do direct vote. We all know why they want this, right? We all know why this is even under discussion. What is the purpose of abolishing or what is the impetus for abolishing the Electoral College? Well, it's because they believe that they have lost elections unfairly due to the Electoral College, not understanding that, you know, if you're playing a game of basketball, you could always argue that you were going to win. It's just the time ran out. But guess what? The game you're playing is a timed one. Unlike, say, a game of tennis where it's about winning a certain number of games to win. You don't get to change after the fact and say, well, hold on a second. I, I, we should have played a different game and I would have won that one. And Democrats are very, uh, very comfortable with this. It's pretty straightforward why the Electoral College has a role. If you did not have an Electoral College, well, then you would just have 
the largest population centers in the country become the battleground for all politics. And then people living in other parts of the country, U.S. geographic, uh, U.S. soil, geographic territory, that would be all of a sudden completely uh, extraneous to our politics. They wouldn't really care. And those of you who live in Montana, in Indiana, in Nebraska, you get far less attention. The coast, you'd essentially have coastal dominance of our politics because that's where you have a vast majority of the population of this country centered, right? It's really all along the eastern seaboard and all along the western seaboard. That's where everyone lives. And so that's where everybody would be campaigning. And that's where all the decisions for the rest of the country would be made. Now, some of you feel like, well, look at the media and look at D.C. And there's already some reality to that being what's going on. Uh, but I would just say this. Democrats claim that they want to bring the country back together. You have Joe Biden, for example, walking around saying that he wants this country to go back to its ideals and a return to normalcy. You have Elizabeth Warren here, though, a Democratic candidate who is offering up something that no serious person could believe would do anything other than or rather would have a result that would not be further dividing this country into red and blue, separating urban from rural. Uh, some would even go so far as to say, if you want a divorce of the American right from the American left, if you want really a, an expansion of uh, secessionist movements in this country, which would not be the first time as we know that that has happened. But if you want real secessionist movements, then all of a sudden have a federal government that does not care about people who live in entire states, entire regions of the country. That would not serve the purposes the Democrats claim they want of bringing us all together, bringing us back to a political normal. No, what they want is power, and they'll say whatever they have to along the way to get to a place of power. That is the point. That is the purpose. That's what they're trying to achieve here. Everything else is effectively a waste of time. They don't really care. So, yeah, abolish the Electoral College. You've also heard Democrats. I'm not just talking about in the media. I'm talking about Democrat politicians talk about what we should do with the Supreme Court. If that does not go their way, then all of a sudden court packing is a discussion to be had. So they talk about institutions and reverence for institutions. And the moment the institution no longer serves their purposes, that does, does not put them in power, then that institution is to be gutted or transformed or di just dispensed with altogether. And they see no irony in this. They see no hypocrisy or lack of principle because ultimately they understand what this is really all about. It is about power. Everything else is a distraction. Everything else is is uh, is preposterous. Um, you have, for example... Uh, I've got to make sure I don't scratch my little. Brand. By the way, producer Brandon has a has a really excellent beard. I'm I'm trying to get my way up there. Do you think that the the beard bombs and all those things does that stuff work? It always just helps grow your beard. I was like, am I like a is my face a chia pet? Like I don't understand. I I, I mean, unless they were going to be a sponsor, I don't think they they work. Yeah. It's uh, like well, if they sponsor like, me, then they, then it definitely will. Yes, yeah, so I'll like use taking, it until it does work. It's so. like taking Propecia if, if you're going bald. There's no cure for baldness. You either have it or you don't. So you either have a manly beard or you have a patchy beard. It looks like you're a high school kid. Yeah, I mean, beer. sometimes you may have to 
give it more time for it to grow out. You have to commit to it. Do you remember Chia Pets, by the way? I remember of course. seeing that commercial. <laughs> All, Chia. Someone got very rich selling a little cheap made in China clay pot that you could have some weeds grow out of. It's pretty remarkable. I mean, I respect the hustle at that point. You know, There's always a new character, whether it's a cartoon or someone in politics, of a, you get a chia head of, of Trump or Obama. Is know. that is that a thing? Yeah. Is there... Oh, yeah. I've seen commercials for it. I guess it's still around. So, uh, Joe Biden has had quite a campaign so far. Um, he is completely protected by the media. They don't ask any questions about his family. Biden's allowed to be very testy, very terse with anybody who doesn't ask any questions about his family. His adult children or his adult uh, son, Hunter Biden, are completely uh, off limits as far as the media is concerned. Can't ask any questions about any of this, even though not only is Hunter Biden something of a of a disaster. I mean, it is kind of sad. This guy is such a uh, just such a mess. Although he's also a millionaire. Guy's got a lot more money than I do. Not because he's good at anything. So it's, uh, how sad can you really feel? Uh, he will need that for uh, the alleged... Well, he's supposed to be making child support payments at some point, I think. So Biden is out there talking about how terrible Trump is. You, you get the basics of this, right? He knows the talking points. Joe Biden's not a very impressive or very smart man. This is just the case. This is reality. So he goes around and says things like this about how Trump is a liar, he's terrible, blah, 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 play clip eight. Oh, I don't think he has any regard, none, for our laws, for the Constitution, for our democracy, for the truth. Do you ever think you'd see on television from mainstream reporters programs about, you know, Trump's 10,000 lies or whatever it is? I mean, actual program about a president of the United States? Or they'd say, we're now going to show you the X number of lies the president's told you. And our children are listening. They're listening. And our silence is complicity. You know, I'm not going to let that happen. At least I, I'm going to try my best not to let that happen, to see to it that he, in fact, uh, continues. Joe Biden is a politician that dumb people feel smart for voting for. Yeah. Joe Biden is a politician that if you're dumb, you think I voted for him, so I'm smart because he says the stuff about truth and the Constitution and the stuff and the things. And yet when you dig into it a little bit, are really the children are watching the the 50, I think it's 15,000 or 14,000 lies, or whatever the 14,000 lies that Trump has told the children are watching that. Yeah, I don't think so. Where were Democrats on the children are watching during the eight years of the Clinton presidency? Clinton, who was a true predator, by the way, and a liar and a felon. They wouldn't convict him. They wouldn't charge him. But we all know the guy committed a felony. There's no question about it. So where, where were they during all that? As we know, oh, they were nowhere to be found. I would also note that one of the problems we have with the uh, Obama administration one of the issues, they like to say there were no scandals. And then, of course, we say, you know, Benghazi and Operation Fast and Furious. We start talking about all the different scandals of the Obama years, um, you know, the IRS targeting of the Tea Party. There's all the stuff that happened that they just pretend didn't happen. But also remember that you had 90 percent of journalists afraid for their careers and deeply ideologically invested in not exposing 
anything and not unearthing any corruption or anything going on behind closed doors that would be unflattering to the president. So remember that, as they always tell you, oh, the Obama years. There was no there was none of this stuff going on during the Obama years. Well, we also had a press corps that was completely in Obama's pocket. It was embarrassing. It was it was it was preposterous, the whole thing. How do we even know what was going on behind closed doors? How do we even know what was being said in the Oval Office at any given time? There weren't all these leaks. There weren't all these deep state operatives. And the press was just, oh, Obama. the press was worshiping Obama. I mean, that's when I, I remember I came into politics, into political media that and it was just it was embarrassing. It's like, oh, Obama's the greatest, the smartest, the wisest, the most wonderful person in the history of of all humanity. Okay, well, you're supposed to be speaking truth to power and maybe trying to find out some stuff of note to the American people. But that was never really much of a focus, I suppose. Uh, They were much more interested in propping up the Obama administration in every way that they could. But they're trying to prop up Biden. And here's the problem with doing that. Um, Joe Biden's kind of an idiot. Uh, He's not somebody who would be a national level politician were he not the senator from Delaware. No offense, Delaware, but not a lot of exciting stuff going on over there. And he's just managed to stay within the system and say whatever he has to say. And he kind of sounds like a politician and looks like a politician and smiles like a politician. And that's really been his role. You know, it's he's, he's not somebody that you think of with any important. I mean, I think his his greatest legislative achievement would have been the violence against, uh, you know, the Violence Against Women Act, which is. Uh, you know, yeah, domestic violence should be illegal in every in all fifty states, and it is. It shouldn't. It's not a federal crime. It shouldn't be a federal crime. Um, but Biden uh, had a a moment here. I'm, I'm trying to find. Do we have Biden being super weird? Because that's the yeah. which 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 one is? Oh oh oh. Um, we're, you got to hold hold on one sec. We're gonna we're gonna get this clip for you in a moment. Stay with me. I understand it can be a little bit awkward when you have to think about life insurance. You don't want to have to consider what would be unthinkable, but you have to prepare for an uncertain future and make sure that your family is safe and secure. I've gone through this process myself. It's something you need to do, and you should go to the place that makes it easy for you. No hassle. That's Ethos Life Insurance. Ethos is modern life insurance for people who just don't want to waste time with fine print, extra appointments, or fees they really just can't afford. Ethos has a simple approach. They take industry expertise and they blend it with technology so that you can find the right policy to protect your loved ones in just a matter of about 10 minutes. And you can apply online. You should check it out for yourself. You'll be taking the first steps to ensure that your family has the financial security they need in case of the unexpected. This is the responsible thing to do. Get a fast, free, and personalized quote right now at ethoslife.com. That's ethoslife.com. Life insurance that actually fits your life. All right, so Biden, uh, who is the front runner for the Democrats, despite being kind of an idiot, he's a front runner for the Democrats. Okay, uh, he is at a campaign stop of some kind. He's surrounded by a bunch of kids. And I don't even, I just want you to hear, remember, this is the, the Democrats who complain about Trump, say he's ruining the republic, he's destroying this country. 
We live in a country of over 320 million people, probably about 330 now. But let's say we live in a country of over 320 million people. And the best person the Democrats can come up with to defeat Trump and be the next president of the United States, because he's going to be so much better, is this guy. Play clip two. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. So it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. And I tell you what, the men, they're now all men, the guys I work with down here, and they're all guys at the time, they're all good men. Most of them made an awful lot of themselves. And Earl Larkin had a rough time. And some of you knew Earl. I, def- I came back as a public defender. Yeah, I got my legs, I got hair on the legs, and the hair would sometimes stick up like a porcupine, and then I would tell people, because I'm putting on kind of a weird politician accent, I would tell the little kids to come on and rub the porcupine hair on my legs, and then sometimes i look at them like, oh man, did I just make your little hand itch from my porcupine hair on my blonde leg? What is this guy talking about? Like, look, I understand. I, I speak for you know three hours a day here on radio. I do TV and all stuff. You know, you misspeak. Sometimes words come out a little funny. What does he even think he's saying? You know, I remember back in uh, you know 1972, and I'm here. You know, I had had a couple a couple of hairs turn gray a little early, but you know those hairs are gray. But I remember I saw my buddy Bill, and he says you got a couple gray hairs coming out your head. It looks a little bit like you're turning into a, some kind of a, a old man, but you're a young man. I mean, it's just blather. What what is it? What is he even saying? Someone explain this to me. You know, the kids would come in and reach in the pool and grab the hair on my hairy legs. They'd pull a couple of those hairs and I'd say, ow, because I want them to make make sure they know that the hairs go ow when you pull them under the water. Then they jump on my lap all the time and I don't, you know, I just pretend like I'm everybody's grandpa. What is he talking about? The Democratic frontrunner is blabbering like an imbecile. Do have any of you even really drunk ever sounded that weird? I was at producer Mark's wedding on Saturday. I had a couple of mezcals or actually tequila, damn it, not mezcal. I had some tequilas. True story. I would not have sounded that weird at any point. I wasn't like, hey, I'm out here on the dance floor and I got some hairy legs and a little bit of hair on my chest. I wish I had a little more hair on my chest. Who wants to come sit on Papa Buck's lap? People would have been like, wow, Producer Mark, you got a new boss. This is weird. What's going on here? The front runner, my friends. I present to you, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Biden, front runner of the Democratic primary right now, far and away. This is the guy they want to be leader of the free world, and they think you have bad judgment for supporting Trump. Speaking of people who shouldn't be president, and this could really be anybody on the Democratic primary or anybody in the Democratic Party really these days, but uh, you still have, you still have Bloomberg, Bloomberg in this mix here with all of his billions of dollars and his... Decent managerial skills, but really poor national-level policy ideas. 
The situation in Hong Kong continues. You have protesters that are standing up to the oppression of the Chinese totalitarian communist government of the mainland. Um, they have recognized that solidarity with America is a very powerful message, and so they are taking video of them singing the U.S. national anthem and waving American flags, and it is it is heartwarming. Let's let's be honest about that. Um, by the way, there's a lot going on in Iran right now with suppression of protests and violence, and we don't really know because they're shutting down the internet. But oh, you mean the Iran that the Obama administration wanted to make a deal with because everything was going to be fine afterwards? It's absurd. Uh, but but just on the China front for a moment, um, Bloomberg wants to be president of the United States, and here's what he had to say about uh, this was in an interview with uh, Margaret Hoover over at Fireland. Here's what he had to say about China. Please play it. China is doing a lot. Yes, they're still building a bunch of coal-fired power plants. And they're still burning coal. Yes, they are. But they are now moving plants away from the cities. They are, the, the, the Communist Party wants to stay in power in China, and they listen to the public. When the public says, I can't breathe the air, Xi Jinping is not a dictator. He has to satisfy his constituents, or he's not going to survive. He's power. not a dictator? No, he has to. He has a constituency to to to, to um, uh, answer to. Doesn't uh, have a vote. He doesn't have a democracy. He doesn't. That he's doesn't not mean held accountable he can survive if his, if his advisors I mean, is, gave is him. Is the check on him just a revolution? You're not going to have a revolution. Nobody. Well, then, no government survives without the will of the majority of its people. Okay, it, it's just he, he has to deliver services. The Chinese Communist Party looks at Russia, and they look for where the Communist Party is, and they don't find it anymore, and they don't want that to happen. I mean, I, the, the idea that the Chinese government is responsive to sort of a, a democratic expression of fresh oh, air, on, clean air. Of course air. they are. I mean, I, I, I'm looking at the people in Hong oh, Kong who are protesting and wondering whether the Chinese government cares what they have to the say. days when you have big pollution in, in, in Beijing. And they're doing something about it. That's that's yeah. ridiculous. The trouble is you can't overnight move cement plants and power plants just outside the city that are polluting the air, and you have to have their product. So some of it takes time. And there's always in, in, in government, even governments that aren't what we would call a democracy, there's lots of stakeholders who have vested interests. And they have an impact. All right, we got And that's why, if you listen to the young millennials, let's go in and solve the problem. We got like the whole interview there. Sorry, we're going all a little bit long. But the, the point is, Bloomberg is challenged on whether or not Xi Jinping is a dictator. And by the way, everybody who I know and trust who is a true China analyst will say that Xi Jinping is, in many ways, the, the biggest dictator in China since Mao. I mean, has, has a more iron grip on things uh, than anyone since Mao, Mao Zedong. So why does Bloomberg take this position, though? You have to remember that China for a, China in Trump speak, uh, China for a lot of leftist liberals, Democrats in this country is alluring in some ways as a system of government. They kind of like the way things get done in China, because what China does is it centralizes power and authority in a few hands, in the hands of a of a dictatorial elite, the Communist Party, about a thousand people in China's Communist Party, at least who matter. And they make all the major decisions for the rest of the country. Liberals like this. 
there are even liberals like Thomas Friedman, the most overrated columnist of all time, who have written openly uh, praising China's system and saying, see, China's system is better than ours for the following reasons. They believe this. They like that consolidation of authority and power in the hands of people that are the state. And let me tell you this. I, I saw this and I, I couldn't really independently verify all of where it came from over the, uh, the weekend. Um, but there was a there's a clip that's making the rounds uh, around the rounds of a a man who is getting interrogated in China. He's in this kind of metal um, metal box, like a, almost like a metal cage around him. It's not a real cage. It's I, I, it's hard to explain. It's like a medieval torture-looking chair, but he's sitting there and he's being interrogated by the police. And the storyline is that he was in a private chat room and said something bad about the. He made a joke, I think, about the. Um, traffic police who were seizing motorcycles from people for, for one reason or another. And he made some joke about it in a private chat room. And all of a sudden he finds himself arrested and now being very aggressively interrogated in this very uncomfortable, very th- ominous looking chair that he's locked into while you have police officers. And what's fascinating to me as you watch this play out is here are these these uh, agents of the state it's very much like what you would expect in, in The Matrix. You know, it's like Agent Smith sitting down with Neo and saying, you know, Neo, why, Mr. Anderson? They don't call him Neo. They call him Mr. Anderson. I forgot. But yeah, close enough. Mr. Anderson, what is it about your species? You're a virus, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, boy, the guy's got skills. You guys know it. So it's a little bit like that. And he sits there and he's getting asked questions like, well, why? What was your purpose? Why would you make fun of the police? And the aggressiveness of his interrogators reminds me of what you get if you make a joke and the woke police, so to speak, come for you. When the left comes for you, there's no humor. There's no forgiveness. There's no mercy. And as I was watching this interrogation video that's making the rounds, and again, I'm assuming it's authenticity. It's been shared by a bunch of blue checks that I know on Twitter, you know, but I don't. But all I could think of is, you know, real or fake, this is what liberals wish they could do to people guilty of wrong think. How many leftists do you think would be perfectly happy if the police could pull you in, lock you in some chair, threaten you with imprisonment, already arrest you, threaten you with imprisonment because of your wrong think on, say, uh, LGBT rights issues, on transgender issues? I think a, a lot of liberals would approve of that. We know this. Liberals right now are advocating publicly for changes to the uh, to federal statute so that hate speech will be a criminal offense. There was a, what was it? Students at I forget what the university. I think it might have been Yale or was, I think it was in New Haven. But just walking past an open window said the said the N word were arrested for it. They didn't call anybody. They just said it. And there are liberals who defend this so-called liberals. Of course, a misnomer for them meant to throw us off. The same way they lie about what they're really doing and accuse the other side of doing it, they lie about who they are at a very fundamental level. They are anti-liberal. They are the least liberal people you will find anywhere, and they take on that name as a means of confusing the debate and the discussion. Okay. 
How many liberals do you think you know who would be happy to have police interrogate people for making jokes that are offensive? I think the answer is unfortunately a lot. Um, Angela Merkel, we have this clip. Angela, no, no, we can't play it because it's all in, it's all off Deutschland. It's all in German, yeah. I haven't heard from Angela Novaldo. She's still wearing the pantsuits. She thought that Hillary was going to be her sister in power. And then, oh no, that is nicht gut. Hillary did not win the election in 2016. It's so sad. I would cry, but Germans don't cry. Uh, at least not Angela, no. No crying for Angela. Uh, she gave a speech, and, and I don't know, we, we, have, we had the audio, I was thinking about having some fun with it because it's all, you know, in German. But she says that we have to take away your freedom of speech. This was when she was speaking. We have to take away your freedom of speech or else society won't be free. They are twisting things now into their opposite. This is where the left is going. This is the the creeping totalitarianism of left-wing ideology. The state in place of God, the state in control of everything. Your free thoughts and free speech are too dangerous. A society is only free if everybody in that society agrees that there are no harmful thoughts or words out there. Of course, we'll never achieve that. But if you set it up with that premise that anyone who takes offense, anyone who feels aggrieved, feels unsafe in leftist parlance now because of speech that they don't like, you always have an excuse to shut down the, those uh, those who are trying to share thoughts that you think are outside of what is acceptable. And that, by the way, that uh, set of rules is constantly in flux, is constantly changing. It's not even clear what it is exactly you will be able to say tomorrow. They're still making it up today. Do you think it would really bother liberals if they could have people brought into a police station and interrogated for making a, a anti-trans joke, a joke that is deemed to be racist? Do you think that liberals would really have a problem with that? I think that they see what's going on in China and think, if only we could get something like that here. But instead of Xi Jinping, you get to have Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and the Democrats in Congress making similar decisions about your life. It, it should be uh, deeply, uh, deeply concerning to all of us um, because the, the liberals don't back away from this totalitarianism. They increasingly embrace it. They like it. They like the power. They like to be able to tell you what you can do all the time. It is all about control. And uh, that's why we have to keep an eye on all of these individuals and make sure we don't give in to what it is that they're telling us we must. Because uh, otherwise you're going to have weird blonde hair son man Joe Biden, uh, you know, blonde hairy legs, whatever that. I can't even remember. what It was just so weird. I can't remember what he said. He's going to be running the country, folks. That should not keep you safe and warm at night. And I think to win, um, there are a few things that must be present. To win, I believe that we must recognize that this issue of 2020 and this election is so much bigger than Donald Trump. It really is. Because it's an obvious point, right? When we, and we can go through the list of all of the reasons why we're all here right now in terms of what is wrong with what's happening in the White House. But 
not only then should we be committed to what we need to do to turn the page, we also have to think about what we need to do to write the next chapter in the history of our country. And so, in so doing, think about this in terms of the challenges before us and our investment for our children, if nothing else, in the future of our country and in the America we believe in. Yeah, listen to Kamala Harris about what we need to do to win because she's not going to win anything. It's not going to win the primary, not going to win the election, not going to win. Not going to happen. So here we are getting advice from somebody who, if anything, does have lessons to teach, but the lessons are through Kamala Harris as a political cautionary tale of somebody who just doesn't have the skill set to do this. And it's because when she talks about this, it all comes across as though someone else wrote this down for her and handed it to her. And now she's just the one sharing the information. Doesn't really believe it, doesn't really care. There's no inspiration. There's no core. There's no connection. It's just whatever she has to say, whenever she has to say it. Uh, The election is so much bigger than Donald Trump. Yeah, how so? Maybe the election is going to be bigger than Donald Trump insofar as If Trump loses, then we know that it's no longer about the results that a politician brings about because the country is better off now than it was under Barack Obama. It just is. Compare. I mean, obviously, everyone comes in at different points in time and everyone has it. We're all dealt a different hand of cards. But, you know, we can either judge things or not. We can either try to make decisions based upon results or we can pretend that all results are the same. A kind of political relativism that would render moot any discussion of whether one politician will be better or worse than another. I don't think that that's a good place for us to go as a country. I think that you would all agree on that. Um, And then you also have Mayor Pete. We've already talked a little bit about Warren, who wants to abolish. I want to abolish the Electoral College. Yeah, that's what needs to happen in this country. Uh, You have Mayor Pete uh, out there as well, and he's got a problem. Mayor Pete's problem is that you can't win a Democratic primary with zero African-American support. He has no African-American support. So what does he do? Goes around trying to uh, trying to get more minority support, including nodding enthusiastically while uh, a, a minority at an event. I don't even know what this event was, but a minority at an event where Buttigieg, Buttigieg just showed up says the following. Play clip five, please. And shouldn't we have some conversation whenever people say we call people illegal aliens and all these things that are are not human and certainly not Christian, why can't we just own in America that some of the people that are trying to come from Mexico here are coming back to land we stole? And the reason we took the land is because people wanted to keep their slaves. I mean, we, got, we have to have some historical clarity. Land. By the way, Buddha Judge, you know, some of you won't be able to see the video, but he was nodding along as this guy is saying this. Stole the land from stole the land from whom? Stole the land in what way and when? And, and how are we supposed to make amends for that now? Uh, this is where you have politicians, for example, try, desperate to try to gather more support. Uh, politicians who are making the claim for uh, why we need reparations. In fact, I remember when I was on the Bill Maher show, that was a big topic at that time. It was last August. We're hearing all about how reparations should occur. And then when people discuss the realities therein, 
and what it would really mean and what it would really do for the country. Um, then all of a sudden they walk away from it. They realize it's not feasible. Um, Mayor Pete here is nodding as a guy says that we stole all the I didn't steal anything. Whether that was Reverend Dr. William J. Barber II asking that question of Buddha Judge. Uh, I didn't steal anything, neither did you. If we're going to be held responsible for the sins of ancestors, then we no longer have a legal system based on individual rights and human dignity. We have a big fight over social justice and victimization in a historical model. Designating Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations. This is quite a step. President Trump has said that they are getting close to doing it, that he wants to do it, that it is going to happen. Now, this comes in the aftermath of the massacre of the LeBaron family. And I would note that when that initially came out, I said to you, the fact pattern does not add up to mistaken identity. It was not mistaken identity. Now, everyone, based on the, on the additional stories that have come out, I think understands that, that was a, it was a mass assassination of women and children by the cartel. Uh, so it was not mistaken identity. I stand behind that, and I think it looks like I was quite correct the day of. And even the administration was initially going off of reports that said that it might have been an accident. The cartel, they, they were executing women and children at close range. They knew exactly what was going on. And then they're burning the bodies afterwards. The, one of the mothers tried to convince them to stop. She came out of the vehicle after being wounded, and they, they killed her. I mean, they knew exactly what they were doing. They knew who they were shooting. So we should we should all be clear on that, and I think that... Our analysis of that from the opening hours after the incident has been proven correct, as I would have anticipated. But now we look at, okay, how do we deal with this? How many arrests has the Mexican government made of that uh, ambush? Remember, they're U.S. citizens, my friends. So these are our, these are ours down there who were killed. Uh, they're dual citizens, but they are U.S. citizens. They have U.S. citizenship. Um, zero arrests from the Mexican government of the cartels thus far, or anyone in the cartels responsible for this. Uh, think about the message of that, that sends law and order in a country uh, like this, where you have a ma an assassination of women and children by heavily armed men with with machine guns, uh, most likely. That's what it, that's what the reporting was at the time. Uh, certainly heavily armed, regardless. And there's no arrests because the expectation in Mexico is that there generally won't be an arrest. Because rule of law and law and order have broken down in that country. I would just want to ask the question. I do have to wonder at some point, why is it that when you stand as I have on the U.S.-Mexico border at San, at, uh, San Diego and Tijuana, um, why is it that on the one side of that fence, you have order, you have rule of law, you have uh, police that, that are overwhelmingly trustworthy and honorable, and you go a couple hundred yards over the fence in the other direction, and you have none of that. Does anyone ever stop to try to answer that question? What exactly causes that difference? Uh, not, not allowed to discuss, not allowed to know why Mexico, a country that's actually quite rich in natural resources, that has the wealthiest, most benevolent neighbor in the world in America... Obviously, tremendous benefit to the Mexican economy. And now is when everyone's like, oh, but the Mexicans have been such a benefit to the U.S. economy. Okay, yes, but point being, why is Mexico as a country so messed up? Uh, people would say, well, the drug war, Buck. Well, it was messed up before the drug war, before the production 
of heroin and opioids and cocaine and other things were uh, it was before the production and distribution was essentially consolidated by the Mexican drug cartels. They are the most powerful criminal syndicates in the world now. They have vast amounts of wealth, and there are uh, there are people who are very senior in these uh, organized crime groups who will engage in the worst kinds of depravity and violence imaginable. So the designation as a foreign terrorist organization, what will this do? There will be some immediate leverage on the financial side, which is a good thing. Uh, the best way to fight the cartels would be to seize all of their cash. And in fact, I think that the seizure of cartel cash should be set up as a means of, oh, I don't know, maybe funding the wall, uh, funding law enforcement, funding resettlement efforts for those who are uh, seized at the border who are not going to be given refugee status, you know, pay, pay for the flights back to whatever country they came from. A lot of things we could do with that money that should be taken, should be seized from the cartels. So that there's a lot of teeth in the policy of a of when you designate somebody an FTO on the financial side. There's a lot that can be done. So that's good. Immediately, though, the concerns shift to the possibility of U.S. unilateral kinetic action, a fancy way of saying we send who knows Special DEA teams, perhaps special forces, Delta, you know, who knows? Uh, we send them down on occasion to pick up or perhaps, let's just say pick up for our purposes today, take some members of the cartel war off the battlefield. Now, I think that that's unlikely to happen because of the possible blowback. Uh, I don't I don't see that happening, but there's a tremendous focus on that. It does remind me a bit of the Day of the Soldado movie from uh, uh, what was that? Sicario 2. Sicario 1 was pretty good, a little bleak, a little relentless, but pretty entertaining movie. Uh, reasonably well done. Sicario 2 is such a bad movie that I was amazed that anybody could read that script and think, yeah, this is a good idea. And it takes incredibly rich source material, which is the cartel war going on at the southern border, and makes it boring and really made it about human smuggling on a bus. And it's just, it was horrible. It was a horrible movie. Uh, the people who made it really should be embarrassed for the destruction of their craft over the course of the two hours of just trash. Uh, but there were scenes in that where you had drones, for example, uh, I believe armed drones being used against the cartel. Could you foresee that happening? Well, here's the problem. If the cartels turn to the Mexican government, it's not clear the Mexican government would win that fight. It's even less clear how much separation there is between the cartels and the government of Mexico, such that if you started really shaking the tree, so to speak, looking at funding sources, looking at all kinds of different connections along the way, how many politicians would come up clean? If you really wanted to know who was getting funded by the cartels for elected office in Mexico, would you end up with a lot of politicians who, after that whole process, look like they really know what's going on and that they were honest and on the up and up? I don't think so. The cartels are having their most violent years ever the last two years, over 35,000 murders. I hate it when they do this thing, oh, there are 40,000 Gun deaths, or 35,000, oh no, I'm sorry, 30,000 gun deaths, I think it is, in America. Yeah, but over about 20,000 of them are, are suicides. 
In Mexico, I'm talking about 35,000 murders, people killing other people. That's going on right now. You have you have stories that barely even get notice here of Mexican Marines. They're more elite units getting ambushed of Mexican police uh, being overrun, being outgunned routinely by cartel hitmen, in many cases, hitmen who have better training and better arms than the police. And we know that these cartels have billions and billions of dollars at their disposal. So what makes us think that they're not at some level really running Mexico? We should ask that question. Who really runs Mexico? Lopez Obrador? Or the cartels that can shut down a city with a phone call, have their gunmen spread all around, and have the national government back down from that fight? Remember, that just happened a few weeks ago. And for those who think, oh, Buck, that's not really even possible in a country as corrupt as Mexico. That's not that's not possible that the cartels are the ones behind the scenes really running, really running Mexico. Okay, well, keep in mind that in Venezuela, you have a number of individuals up to, I believe, the vice presidential level. I think it's the, the vice president or the number three guy in Venezuela in the Maduro regime is listed by our Treasury Department as a drug trafficker. Yeah, that's right. Venezuela is run by narco kingpins pretending to be social justice warriors. But they're very much involved in the drug trade. That's how they're getting hard currency. It's how they're able to continue to pay people off and stay in power. So that's just on record. You can go see that yourself. It's, it's really stunning. The, the leadership of a country as large and sophisticated as Venezuela is a bunch of drug dealers. The people in charge running the country. I'm sure Maduro, by the way, Maduro probably tries to keep a little, you know, he's like the guy that never touches the drugs, but he's behind the scenes. He's getting, he's getting a taste. I'm sure they're kicking him all kinds of cash. Otherwise, how, how could you keep people in your administration who really raises the question, why don't we just, why isn't Maduro listed as a drug kingpin? Probably just because it would be so destabilizing. Because then we'd have to say, well, maybe we just got to take this guy off off the battlefield, and uh, now we're seizing the foreign head of state. So, you know, that gets tricky. But I'm sure Maduro's a drug dealer, too. Come on. Of course. Oh, he's just, he just... Imagine this, the Obama administration, you found out, and some of you are going to be like, oh, fuck. No, if the Obama administration, you found out that, uh, you know, Joe Biden or Nancy Pelosi was was involved in smuggling large amounts of cocaine, I think even... I think the Obama administration would have had a problem with that. I don't think President Obama would be like, yeah, you know... They got to make some cash on the side. To his credit, he would not have had a, he would not have had a, the continuation of those people in his employ. Venezuela, you don't have that. Venezuela, like, oh yeah, designated as drug kingpins, must all be lies from those you know Yankee American types. No way. What's really going on in Mexico, folks? Do we even want to know? This is where we start to have to ask some really tough questions. Do we want to get to the bottom of it? Once you start looking at the money trails and seeing who the cartels are paying off and how, where does that stop? What reason do we have to believe that you don't have many of the most powerful people in the Mexican government who are our counterparts in dealing with Mexico on the take? Given how corrupt this country is, given how completely inept its judiciary is, and it's, it's I mean, the, the courts in Mexico are a sham. It's a joke. Everybody knows this. Law enforcement, this is not a poor country. Mexico is not a poor country. I was just in Mexico City over the summer. There's a lot of wealth there. You know, we have a lot of uneducated, 
poor Mexican workers who have been coming into this country in the last few decades. But it's not a poor country. This is not El Salvador. So what is it that has let this country continue to be just such a, a an exemplar, really, of corruption, of inept governance? Why is it that no one really expects crimes in Mexico to be prosecuted? These are the questions that should be asked. These are the questions that the Mexican government should have to answer. Instead, they're going to get all huffy about how, oh, Americans better not take any unilateral action in our country. Well, here's the problem with that. The cartels are killing thousands of Americans. I'm seeing more people. You've heard me say this now for many, many months. The cartels are directly responsible for killing Americans. They are putting pills on the streets here that are made to look like pills that they are not. This is no this is really no different than if the cartels were selling, you know, bootleg vodka and it's really rat poison in the vodka in this country. Imagine if the cartels did that and were killing thousands of people with, you know, poison-laced vodka that they were selling here. And that's more or less what they're doing by by putting oxycontin on the streets. That's not oxycontin. It's it's uh, opioids that they have made themselves. You know, it's fentanyl that they're saying is Oxycontin. They're killing thousands of Americans. A lot more Americans are being killed by the Mexican drug cartels than have ever been killed by the Islamic State, my friends. And look at all the expenditure of resources and effort to go after ISIS in Syria. So do I think designating them as a foreign terrorist organization is the right move? I do. I do. And by the way, they do. People are saying, oh, they're not terrorists. Yes, they are. They use violence to get state compliance and state to back off of law enforcement efforts. And they have they've established full control in whole regions of Mexico. I mean, of, of course, they use violence for explicitly political ends It's a, to turn Mexico into a narco state. So there's, it's not like you could separate this from politics. It's not just petty street crime. They're trying to control the government. They got the government to back off of a gunfight with them a few weeks ago. So we're holding the city hostage. But I'm telling you, the Trump administration, especially if Trump stays in office, Democrats will just wimp out on this whole thing and they won't, you know, oh, no, Mexico's perfect. We're, anything bad in Mexico is the fault of America. That's, that's the Democrat line. But if you have a Trump administration that comes in for four more years in office and they really pursue this thing, I think it's the right thing to do. But a lot of people aren't going to like what we find out about the truth of the cartels and the Mexican government. That much I am very confident in. How many holiday packages are you going to have delivered to your home? You know, there's a lot of cool stuff that's going to be sitting there without parental supervision. Well, this year you can keep a sharp eye by Blink before you buy. Before you order anything else, order the Blink X-T2 security camera to help keep an eye on your holiday deliveries wherever you are. Blink's Black Friday Cyber Monday event is on. It's your chance to save a ton and get a free Amazon Echo Dot with a purchase of any Blink system while supplies last. Look, Blink X-T2 cameras are amazing. They're wire-free, set up fast, and run on two AA lithium batteries for up to two years and they're motion activated so you'll know as soon as the delivery person approaches your door or anybody else by the way and you've got a two-way talk feature as well blinks black friday cyber monday event is on save up 28 percent on blink cameras and systems from november 28th through december 2nd and get a free amazon echo dot with any blink system while supplies last visit blinkprotect.com sale blinkprotect.com sale again blinkprotect.com sale Let's talk about Greta Thunberg for a moment here, folks. Darren Aronofsky, the director who's made some decent movies and some terrible movies recently, uh, he wrote in the New York Times about how she's the 
She provides the imagery that the climate change movement really needs. Well, you would think that argument would be more important than imagery, but that's not the case. But uh, Thunberg wrote something just a couple days ago, or had it, I don't know if she had it written for her, but she put her name on this. And I, I have to tell you, um, my friends, those of us who say that this is not really, that climate change is not really about climate, we have all this evidence to point to. We can show you time and again uh, that this is about much more than that. It is about power. Um, this is what she writes in this. This is projectsyndicate.org. I don't even know what that is. This is Greta Thunberg, global icon now of the climate change movement. Here's what she writes. The climate crisis is not just about the environment. It is a crisis of human rights, of justice, and of political will. Colonial, racist, and patriarchal systems of oppression have created and fueled it. We need to dismantle them all. Our political leaders can no longer shirk their responsibilities. Colonial, racist, and patriarchal systems of oppression are the reasons for the climate. I thought it was about science and CO2 going in there. I thought it was about industry and mechanization and the usage of the combustion engine and fossil fuel in cars. And it's about, no, colonial, racist and patriarchal systems of oppression. My friends, climate change is just about socialism. That's really what it is. It's ultimately a means of empowering the state to engage in the central planning to bring about not just a nation state of radical egalitarianism, of radical equality, but to bring about a world of radical equality. That, to me, is deeply disturbing and should be deeply disturbing to all of you. There was another individual. I don't know who this guy is, but I thought this was great. Um, this guy, Zach Cantor on Twitter. He's a blue check. I'm not sure what he does, but he wrote this, in, I, I assume, in response to this conversation about Greta right now and how it's not just about climate change. He wrote, one huge drawback of nuclear power is that it doesn't dismantle systems of oppression. It only produces clean energy. This makes it unsuitable for solving the climate crisis, which isn't just about the environment. The climate crisis is not just about the environment. The left says this openly. They tell you this. They speak about this. And then when you say, well, hold on a second. Uh, is this really about climate or is this about other things? They say, oh, how dare you? Don't you care about the earth? Don't you care about saving the planet for future generations? Oh, my gosh. As I sit around and say, well, hold on a second. I'm, I'm being told here by, icon, by an icon in the movement that it's about dismantling the patriarchy. What does climate change have to do with the patriarchy? Oh, well, if climate change is just the excuse of hysterics to empower the government in ways that nobody would have dreamed of before, to do anything it wants to do with everything justified under the rubric of climate change, well, then you have all the power you need for the utopian society that we brought about by the extreme equality of the super state. That's what climate change is really all about. New York City has the stupidest gun laws anywhere in the country, with the possible exceptions of Washington, D.C. and Chicago. 
But I mean, New York it could be the worst. Depends on which specific area. I mean, I'm here in the city, and, and it's 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 completely absurd what they put you through as a gun owner. And I've got to tell you that you see here the way, the dishonest, the bad faith way that opponents of the Second Amendment, because that's what they are, the bad faith way that they do things in left-wing enclaves like New York that show that they're unserious about the Constitution and the law and that they just want to abuse their power when they can because they don't like people owning guns. They don't like people who own guns. That is all uh, That is all a part of this. Uh, let's just look at this case for a moment. Here, here's the way it works in New York City. You have to go through a process, which I keep saying I'm going to go through it. I keep getting delayed with life and other things. But you go through a process to get a handgun here that takes about five months, costs $500, lots of paperwork, lots of background check, lots of things going on here. And it's meant to be onerous. Now, remember, Second Amendment, whatever, you got to pay big fees. You got to go through all this hassle and everything else. Voting, if you just have to say, hey, here's an ID that I need for pretty much everything else in life, but I'm just showing you, that's liberals freak out about that. Oh, it's an infringement on the right to vote. What about infringements on the right to bear arms? Oh, they don't care. That doesn't matter. And that doesn't somehow fall under the, under the rubric of rights as far as they are concerned. It is something else. It is a right to be intentionally dismantled and undermined. That's what they do. So the way it works in New York is you can you can get a premise permit for a handgun. You have the premise permit. Now, that means you must keep it in your home. The handgun in a locked box, a trigger guard, I'm sorry, a trigger lock on the handgun in the locked box, which means it's great. If a burglar comes or somebody you know is threatening you home invasion, you have a very heavy projectile. Think of it almost like a, like a paperweight now that you can throw at him because that's about the likelihood that you're going to be able to get to your gun in time and have ammunition kept in a separate locked box. That's the rule here in New York City. And so then the rule was that you could take it in those locked boxes to a des- So from your home, you could transport it to a designated gun range. Keep in mind, if you Break any of these rules, they arrest you. You spend your weekend in prison and you're threatened with years in prison if, in fact, they convict you, even for a minor violation of this. I mean, New York City is the same place where people who were transporting their legally owned and possessed firearms, but transiting through a New York airport. And then if the flight was canceled and you had to get your stuff in the New York airport, when people came back to that airport to get on the flight, to get them to the place they were going to where they were legally allowed to have that gun, New York arrested people for that. New York would arrest people for that. Shameful. Appalling. And the officers involved in that should feel badly about it because it was wrong. But uh, nonetheless, that gives you a sense of the mentality here around guns. So here's what New York did. They said, okay, fine. You can take it to a a firearms range in in the city. I think there's uh, like less than... I think there's two or three of them in the whole city, and they're not nice. But you can't take the gun that you've gone through all this process with. You cannot transport it outside city limits. So New York State, you're not allowed to take your gun in New York. So it's really like the city of New York owns this gun, and you're renting it from them, and you can't take it outside of New York City. This is absurd. 
How is this the right to bear arms? I mean, you, you, the state, New York City is in New York State, so you can't have reciprocity with the rest of New York State with your legally owned. Who thinks this is going to stop any violence, by the way, or, or, or stop anything from going? It's just, it's idiocy. And it's completely unjustifiable under any understanding of the Second Amendment and also just common sense. The only people that were going to get in trouble for this were people who, you know, were for some reason leaving New York City and they tell an officer, oh, you know, I've, I've got this firearm that I'm transporting to you know, my house in upstate New York or I'm going to see my grandparents. I want to go shoot with them somewhere, you know, in, in Syracuse or in, uh, you know, I don't know, Dutchess County or wherever. And, uh, you know, people, Albany and people will get in trouble with the police for telling them honestly what's going on because you're not allowed to take the gun. They probably would confiscate the gun. Who knows what else would happen? Not allowed to take it outside the city. You're violating a New York City law by doing that. That's so stupid. It's so absurd. You already have possession of the firearm. So why create this weird city limits violation for the rest of the state? Well, it turns out that the libs knew this was a crap law. The libs knew that this was meant to just stick a thumb in the eye of legal gun owners, people that want to enjoy their Second Amendment rights in New York City. And so the moment that a challenge was brought to this, a court challenge, uh, they uh, New York City re- repealed the law. Oops, sorry, psych. Didn't mean, didn't mean to do that. Not even willing to defend it. Now, Supreme Court heard oral arguments about this today for about an hour. People are saying that... Of course, the liberals, because they're policy people, they're not really judges. You know, Ginsburg and all the rest, they're, they're not people that are there. You know, Kagan and Sotomayor, they're there to give the left what they want. That is their role in the court. That is the only reason that they are on the court, to give the left what they want. They're not interpreting the law. They're, not. they're, they're claiming now, well, this is, all, uh, this is all moot because New York repealed this law. Okay, but... You're not supposed to have cat and mouse games with the legislature of different states or cities, my friends. Okay, you know, imagine for a second that uh, you know New York passed a literacy test to vote. Oh, you've got you. You got to have you do a literacy test before you vote. And they, and the Supreme Court said, "Whoa, hold on a second. That's that's a you can't do that." And then New York says, "Oh no, it's okay. We're just gonna we're gonna repeal that literacy vote test." Because the Supreme Court has said they'll look at it. What's to, what's to stop them, by the way, from just saying in a, in a few months when the court's not able, in the court process, they'll, they'll just keep on going. Oh, no, no, let's put that law back in place. Let's have that literacy test again, just in time for the election. Oh, the Supreme Court's going to review it. Oh, let's pull that away. This is the way the liberals abuse process. When I talk to you about how they don't do things in good faith, this is obviously bad faith. They passed a law. They should, they should be willing to stand up for that law against the Supreme Court. Or they should admit that they were in error and say that they'll never do this again, which they have not done. Of course, the libs are scared here that what, they would, what the Supreme Court might do, even though this law is no longer on the books, is perhaps weigh in on whether or not the right to bear arms also has to include the right to, in some capacity, transport and keep on your person arms. This is what has not been decided. You know, DCV Heller said that you do have a right, if you are a, a, a law-abiding citizen in the United States, you do have the right to have a, a gun in your home. And there cannot be insurmountable restrictions put on this, as DC had done, essentially regulating away your right. That's what they do. 
This is what the, the, the socialists, the statists, the Democrats, this is what they do all the time. They, they use regulation as a means of replacing legislative fixes that they want. They just say, well, this is the way we're going to, this is the way this is going to go. Uh, this is how we're going to do this going forward. So, my friends, to this, I would just point out that uh, you cannot tell me that liberals didn't know that this law was stupid and unconstitutional from the start. I hope the Supreme Court writes a more sweeping opinion, but they may just say, oh, well, I guess there's no law anymore. Because the conservatives on it might, the conservatives on the court might say, although I think we can trust Thomas to realize this is just, this creates such a bad taste in the mouths of any honest and decent American that they're going to, you're going to have cities pass laws that will send people to prison, perhaps. And then the moment the Supreme Court's going to say, well, hold on a second, they go, oh, no, sorry, just kidding. Really? You're going to pass laws that you won't, you're going to pass a law and keep it as a law until the Supreme Court wants to look at it. And then you make it go away because you don't want anyone to actually take an honest look at what's going on here and how unconstitutional and how tyrannical it is. This is how liberals operate, friends. The conservatives in the court will say, oh, well, it's not a law anymore. So we don't have uh, essentially there's no standing here. There's no reason for us to weigh on this because they've already. But this is just understand. This is how libs do it. They pass laws that they know to be unconstitutional and they keep them in place as laws until they're going to be challenged on it. And then to avoid the American people finding out whether or not it is constitutional, what they did, they just say, oh, no, we're going to repeal it. Bad faith. It's what Democrats do. It's how they operate. Bad faith. Global Verification Network is the only dual certified veteran owned background investigation and vetting company. They are federally certified as a veteran owned small business and headquartered in Chicago with offices throughout the nation. Their risk mitigation experts can work with startups all the way up to Fortune 100 companies and no data or client information is ever offshored. Unlike a lot of their competitors, Global Verification Network has all employees located throughout the United States, and they do not outsource or offshore any of the work you give them. Give Global Verification Network a call, 877-695-1179. Again, that's 877-695-1179. You can also go to mygvn.com. Again, that's mygvn.com. Global Verification Network for all your background investigation and inventing needs. Leave no stone unturned. Team Buck, it's time for roll call. It is roll call time, everybody. I have missed you all. I have missed the roll call. And I'm excited to get the opportunity to uh, talk to you about it now. So, fantastic. Let's get to it. Um, Ed writes, hey, Buck, where can I get a commie bear? I watched you on the blaze way back and love the commie bear. Tis the season. Do you have a store? Ed? Commie Bear is currently on injured reserve. He's not he's not formally retired, but he hasn't been in the game for a little while. I don't know, though, especially now that we have the Pluto TV. Channel 248, the first, the best thing on Pluto TV. It's a free app that you should all download for your phones, and you can watch the show every day. Uh, now that we have it, um, perhaps we should bring back the bear. I've been thinking about it for some time. I was thinking that it would be quite fun, but it's just a question of how much more work I can put into things. 
Um, but the answer is, I don't think we do have a store up right now on BucksXN.com, although I should probably check. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of us having Producer Brandon, do we have a store up? Do we know? You don't know. Producer Brandon will find out. He's in for, oh, that's right, Producer Mark. Guess what? Right now, while we're all freezing our butts off in New York City, Producer Mark is drinking pina coladas on his very well-deserved honeymoon in Jamaica. I will say it was a great wedding, a lot of fun out in Long Island. Some Team Buck folks were there, just just guests of the wedding, nothing to do with me. Uh, I didn't really know anybody. I just walked around, ate some, uh, ate some sushi. They had a sushi table. I, I got to say, I like the sushi. Uh, but anyway, Prusa Mark's wedding was beautiful. Him and his wife uh, seemed like they were having a fantastic time. Everything came off very, very well. So I was really happy for him. And right now he's uh, on the beach in Jamaica, I'm sure, not thinking about us here in the Freedom Hut, which is the way it should be. He'll be back in two weeks, by the way. He's taking off. Uh, he's going to enjoy himself. I know, right? Producer Brandon, you, you better be. Uh, we got to keep you healthy, man, because if you get sick, we're going to like third string quarterback. That's not good. I was worried because, of course, he leaves when we finally get snow here in New York. Like, he planned it. So I'm like, what if I get stuck? What am I going to do? What is Buck going to do? I don't know. These things keep me up at night. It'd be a mess in here, man. I can barely I – I still have trouble switching from, like, my DVR or rather from my smart TV to normal cable. This is a challenge for me every day. So if you weren't <laughs> in here to do all the things with the, the screens, we'd be in bad shape. Well, if there's a snowstorm, I'll, I'll go sleep in the studio. It's okay. Thank you. That's what, that's the dedication we expect from people that help keep the Freedom Hut running. Sherry writes, love the show. Listen every now to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you, Sherry. Is it Sherry? Mon Sherry or Sherry? Or just Sherry. Could be either one. If it's American, it's Sherry. But perhaps we'll call her Sherry because she is uh, very fancy. Uh, she likes to listen on the podcast. Uh, how was the mac and cheese at producer Mark's wedding? We need details. Was it penne pasta, elbow pasta, cheddar cheese, and mix of cheeses? Oh, Sherry. Producer Brandon and I were talking about this, and I don't know. I mean, we're happy that producer Mark is enjoying himself on the beach right now and working on his tan and being a newly married man. It's fantastic. But um, there was no gluten-free mac and cheese at that wedding. I asked several members of the... Uh, of the staff who were involved in the food service part of this. And they asked the head chef, and there was never... So, I, I don't know. A little bit of a bait and switch. I had gluten-free mac and cheese promised, and you know what I ended up having? Salmon filet without any sauce. Now, look, the food at the wedding was great for everybody else. Maybe it's my fault that I'm genetically inferior and have celiac disease. That said, my little salmon filet was not gluten-free mac and cheese and, and had no sauce. You promised you. Gluten-free mac and cheese. We talked about this. I was promised gluten-free mac and cheese. And did that happen? It did not. We have the tape. We do have the tape. We could we could roll tape on this one. So it's it's very clear to me that this is this is where it's at right now. But that's all right. We're you know, I'm not gonna not gonna bother producer Mark on his honeymoon about the lack of gluten-free mac and cheese. But when he comes back in a couple of weeks, some of you have to remind me when we get producer Mark back in the mix that uh I mean, you, you, you promised that to a man. You got to keep that promise. So we might have to have him come in with some homemade gluten-free mac and cheese for the Buckster because, you know, p- perhaps courtesy of now Mrs. Mark. Maybe she's better uh, in the kitchen or not. I like cooking. That was not a sexist comment, just to be clear. Michael writes in, I already benefited from free health care, which because... Uh, I reset my elbow roll call. All right, Michael, thank you. I don't know what we're really talking about here, but it was it was fun while it lasted. 
Robert writes, dude, a meat connoisseur like you ain't had pot roast? Ask a butcher to give you a brick of beef to slow cook. I often use crock pot with potatoes, carrots, and sweet onion. You're still young, Buck. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, uh, pot roast. I don't think I've ever had pot roast. Have you had pot roast? Is it good? Might be one of my favorites. Really? Stewed meat. I mean, stewed meat is delicious usually. So. Yeah. I mean, my grandma used to make it. My mom makes it. My, my girlfriend makes it. I don't think it. I ever had pot roast growing I up. I think you're missing out. I think I definitely had too many boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese, though, which turns out if you were looking to put on the LBs, just have two boxes of Kraft mac and cheese for dinner every night. You'll, <laughs> you'll get there real fast. But yeah, no, I have not had pot roast. Here we go. Uh-oh. Paula, right? Today you said turkeys for Thanksgiving, ham is for Christmas. Uh, Jesus would never have touched ham. Just a thought. Really like your show. Um, Paula, I get what you're putting down there, but I'm still going to eat my my ham at that at that time. Ham I am, said the buck. Uh, let's see. Eric Buck, the morning after the last dim debate, Klomachar stated on CNN that the Russians not only hacked our elections via dumb social media posts, but they attempt to hack voting machines. Can you comment on this? Eric, there have been some reports about some, uh, like, intrusions from cyber, from malware stuff about the Russians, but no no votes were changed, and it's all, uh, it's just being exaggerated by people for political purposes. That's going to be our first show back after Thanksgiving. Guys, Chris is going to be here, be- Christmas is going to be here before you know it, so just strap in, because we're going to have very exciting shows between now and then, and also Buck's birthday, which comes up later this month. Uh, Shields high!